15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope, it's Geico. Uh, yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business are heroic, and you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance. Wholeheartedly for you. Welcome along. So, La Liga or the Premier League, which is the best league in the world? Yeah, we'll leave that one for now, shall we? Here's another question. Uh, who does Lionel Messi play for? Yeah, yeah for now. Uh, what a shambles Barcelona have become. The sad thing is that we all saw it coming, like Marc-Andre Terstegen clipping those balls into midfield for Bayern Munich to devour. All we could do was stand and stare like, I don't know, a Barcelona player watching Nelson Semedo getting rinsed by Alfonso Davis and literally doing nothing to help him until the ball is three metres from the goal line. It's not the first time Bayern have exposed fault lines in Barca's squad building, but it is the first time they've done it using a Barcelona player. In the history of football, there has never been a more vivid sign of a club's mismanagement than paying £140 million for a player that lets one club strengthen and knock you out of the Champions League in humiliating fashion and then loan him out to another club that doubles the humiliation the following season and he scores two goals against you. £36 million of Coutinho's fee is based on performance-related bonuses and they've been paid. If he plays another 14 games, Barca have to pay another four million. Anyway, let's blame it all on Kike Setien and move on. Ronald Koeman should be along soon. Is there a golf course somewhere between Madrid and Barcelona where he and Gareth could meet up and discuss how well the Spanish clubs are being run at the moment? Anyway. We will get on. There are some happier things to discuss from the Spanish football point of view, such as Sevilla and the Europa League. We shall see. Such as David Silva returning. He's coming to Real Sociedad sometime soon. But we do have to deal with the horror show, Terry, of the the Champions League. Obviously, Atleti uh, along. But what a story. Uh, What an alignment of what we knew was going wrong off the pitch with Barcelona and then it coming together with that performance uh, against Bayern Munich, which was just shambolic. It was horrific, John. It really was. And it was a strange game in many ways because there, there clearly was a, a, a difference in, in quality and class and, and organisation between Bayern Munich and, and Barcelona. But the first 20 minutes of the game, mm. Barcelona were very much in it. And you, you saw deficiencies from Bayern Munich. It was clear for everybody to see that the space was in behind. They were recklessly defending high up the pitch in order to try and keep the team compact and put Barcelona under pressure from when Tostegan had the ball, um, not allowing them to play at the back, but it left weaknesses in behind. But it, it, it just the game just, just got away from Barcelona in, in both halves. I mean, it was 4-1 in each half. And it was it was dreadful. I mean, it it, uh, it underlined all the deficiencies that we have seen over the last couple of seasons, and it really pretty much confirmed that the, the the team needs it needs ripping apart. It needs that's not under estimation. It needs ripping apart. It needs to be made younger. 
Um, they need leadership from a manager, which they, they didn't get from Setien. And the attitude of the players was in question in the end when they were just shipping in goals, ridiculous goals, um, in the last 10, 15 minutes of the game when it was clear they just gave up and, and weren't worried at all about being humiliated further and further. And it was it was horrible. You go right through the team to Stegen. You mentioned about him clipping balls onto the chest of the holding midfield player of Bayern Munich. He did that. It, it, it has to be somebody in that team that, that knew that they were struggling um, to contain Bayern Munich. And the last thing he wanted was when the ball goes back to your goalkeeper, he just keeps chipping it back to them or he keeps playing his teammates who... In particular, Longley and PK kept playing them into trouble as well. And all I kept seeing from Tostegan was raising his hand, apologising. I didn't see one player take him to task. I mean, that one player, the obvious one, would be PK because he was the one that was being left in, in, in the lurch in terms of, you know, it, the ball was coming straight back at him. And on occasions, he was stretching to reach a pass from Tostegan. How they allowed him to do that, I, I would say 10 times during the game, he gave away cheap possession and, and invited pressure on. You look at the fullbacks, their role in, in, in the game. So Mado, to be quite frank, I mean, we have to be brutally honest, I don't think he's improved since he's been at the club. I've defended him in, in the past when I've said that he perhaps should have had more playing time, should have been ahead of Sergio Roberto. I stand by that, but I don't think he's improved and I don't think he's good enough. So I think that needs resolving. I don't think Jordi Elba has it in him anymore to, to get up and down the pitch. He gets forward, he struggles to get back. He gives away possession cheaply, far too cheaply. And, you know, it, it, I think his position needs to be looked at now. We're, we're not talking, you know, it's not just about age because, you know, players are all different and they, you know, different age. You know, Jordi Alba, who is 31. There's other players at 31. I've seen Nacho Monreal, who's a lot older, come back and plays well and got up and down the pitch, doesn't give the ball away. I'm not saying for one moment that Barcelona go and get him, but I'm just comparing him. This is that's not it shouldn't be an age issue with Julie Elba, but there seems something wrong with his attitude that he he doesn't ever feel he, his place is is under threat anymore, and that needs to change. I felt for Pico Longley, they were just left. I mean, they made mistakes in that game, but they were they, they weren't given any help. The fullbacks went missing. The goalkeeper was giving the ball away cheaply. There was no. Defensive solidity in midfield. They played a horrible four-four-two system, and and this is from a manager that you know. But Busquets can't play mid. It it will be an absolute joy for any opponent to play against Busquets in a four-four-two with him in mm. midfield. He's he's never done it, um, and he can't do it. He's, I don't think he would ever have been able to do it. Play in a two-man midfield with two wide players, fullback pushing on, and a team that doesn't have hardly have any possession. We wouldn't have seen the Busquets we've seen for the last 10, 12 years. So it was a horrible performance tactically. Individual players were poor, were were abysmal, not poor. They were abysmal, and it was horrific. And they they got exactly what they deserved. But you did wonder going into the game that you, you had an idea this could happen. But you also, on the other hand, thought. But they still have the, the, you know, the quality should still be there. We've seen flashes of it this season when they've been absolutely fantastic. But when they were put under pressure by a Bayern Munich team, who we were hungry, determined, um, had total belief they could beat Barcelona. They had, they really had no answer, and it was, it was dreadful to watch. The the, the Kimmich goal, I think it's the fifth one. 
And that's the one where Davis roasts um, Semedo. They they give the ball away, and when Davis picks up the ball, um, uh, Vidal goes lunging in with a challenge, falls on the seat of his pants, and he sits down. Um, and then it's 13 seconds of Davis against Semedo. Nobody goes to challenge. Nobody goes to cover him. And he ends up right on the byline, pretty close to the goal. Um, credit, I think Griezmann gets back into the penalty area. A, a rare, I know he's been a, you know, you have to judge him a failure so far, but it is a rare example of someone who at least spots danger, at least reacts to danger, at least shows some leadership because Vidal hadn't got back into the penalty area. Uh, Busquets, as you say, struggling physically, can't get back into the penalty area. Um, and they end up with a, a, a Kimmich scores the goal. The right back scores the goal three or four yards out. I think he taps it into the back of the net. So there is an element, isn't there, of we can blame Setien's system, which was baffling. I don't know what he thought he was he was achieving by the system. But the, the attitude of the players is, is a big problem, isn't it? But here's the, here's the massive dilemma for Barcelona. They're so well paid. It's it's not an easy thing to to shift them on and and reorganise the squad. And not an easy thing if you keep them, it, it, you, you can't play them. You, you've still got to play those yeah. players. So it's you know to to rip up the, the squad. It needs a rebuild. They're going to have to convince players to to, to move on somehow. Um, their wages are going to be a problem for for, it, for other clubs to take them. But I think not to the extent of say Gareth Bale, for instance. I don't think it's going to inhibit the 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 players being able to move to other clubs. I think there are clubs that will still take a chance on, on some of them and, and hope that a change will, you know, freshen up their careers. I think that the, the players that could be moved on would be the likes of Nelson Semedo, for instance. Sergio Roberto could be moved on. I think it, it's they're, they're strange playing him and Arturo Vidal in the wide midfield positions. Even if it was 4-4-2 with two natural wide midfield players in the position, I, I would have been critical of the system against Bayern Munich. But to play central midfield players in the wide areas, um, it really was asking for trouble. They need to, unfortunately, replace one of the greatest strikers of his generation in Luis Suarez because you can't mm. have him and Messi um, doing what they do up front. They need a younger striker. And the, the irony of that is that it could be Griezmann. Griezmann could be that striker. You know, a young, yeah. enthusiastic, pacey centre-forward that stretches, you know, defences, makes runs in behind to allows Messi to get the ball to feet. You know, and it, he could be the answer to, to that issue as opposed to him going out and buying another player because that's what he was at Atletico. You know, that's what he is when he plays for France. But now we just see him as a... a you know, white attacking player that has um, enthusiasm, has good attitude, but we shouldn't be describing a £120 million player with those attributes. And he needs to be decisive. And, and that's the obvious one for me. The, the dilemma with Suarez is he's still one of the best finishers in the world. I mean, his goal against Bayern Munich was a sensational finish. But it's harder for Barcelona to get the ball and get to get to him in positions where he can show those attributes. He can't run away from defenders. He can't run past defenders. He isn't particularly great at holding the ball up. It's all about finishing for Luis Suarez. But that dictates the, the tempo of the team, how they play. You know, they would like nothing more than to, to break quickly on the break and have a striker with the pace to really cause, you know, defenders problems. 
but they haven't got that option at the moment. So that that's a that's where I, I think you you look at one of the positions that needs replacing, and then the whole host of midfield players. We've enthused about Ansu Fati and Ricky Pooj in recent months. They need to be included more. I thought Fatty was, you know, I was really surprised that he, he, he didn't play more, more in that game. Um, we didn't see Ricky Pooj in either the, the Napoli game or the, the game against Bayern. And Sufati didn't come on against Napoli, but came on against Bayern. So they, it's a lot of work. We can blame Kike Setien. I do, to a degree. But there were, were you looking at him on the bench when the goals were going in left, right and centre and he was muttering to himself, he wasn't taking control. He looked out of, totally out of his depth. And I hate saying that because I think it's some, you know, something we use too flippantly on occasions. Oh, he's tactically naive. He's out of his depth. I hate saying that in general. But when you saw him, there was no response from him. It took too long to make changes. Um, and he just, he, he looked, he was like, you know, caught in the headlights. And I, I, I oh, felt sorry a, for him, but at the same time, he, he, it, it was poor management. Yeah, it's, it's a bad week for those for that tactical school, isn't it? The Pep Guardiola uh, tactical school of of you know complicated tactical schemes, um, because obviously, I mean, drifting off the point slightly, but uh, you know, City made a mess of it as well, didn't they? In their their game against against Leon, uh, with a actually, well, that that was baffling in a way, wasn't it? But the the notion that a genius coach can just come along and and tactic away. Uh, through a situation, I think it's taken a bit of a blow, isn't it? it? You do have to get your players. Getting your players right is the fundamental first job, isn't it, of bringing a club? Yeah, and a, 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 a clubs like Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, all those classic teams, they they really should just be concentrating on the, on their... And I'm sure Bayern Munich just concentrate on organising themselves, making sure they don't make any concessions to the opponents that they're playing against. It, it, it's much different if you're not one of the, the traditional big teams in the Champions League. And, you know, look, Leon, for instance, you might have to adjust your tactics. Teams that are not as good, that don't have the expensive players, the, the big squads, you have to work harder tactically to deny opponents. But generally, the, 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 the bigger teams... Don't have to, to worry about that. Admittedly, if they're coming up against another big opponent, you know, it might be something you just look at to, to try and you know pinpoint one or two weaknesses, the small differences that might make you successful. But Manchester City against Liam wasn't one of those instances where you know, a manager had to overthink it. Um, and it, it, it appeared that he was wary, scared, of Cole, Toko Ekembe and Memphis Depay running in behind the Manchester City defence. He talked about the Leon's use of the channel balls and he wanted to play an extra defender, um, make a back three to, to, to deal with that threat. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty convinced that if Manchester City hadn't been so concerned about Ekembe and Memphis Depay, then the extra quality of the players they had on the bench in terms of creative quality would probably, well, I'm pretty sure it would have been enough to have seen them through. So, yeah, no, I, th- I, I agree with you. I think it's uh, it's been a tough week. With Kike Setien, though, we we expected so much. You know, people that watched him as manager of Las Palmas and, and Real Betis in particular were aware of this, you know, style of football that should have lent itself well to, to Barcelona. But it just looked like he's not, he's, he's never got a grip on it, you know, in, in terms of, Imposing a style, imposing himself as a manager, and 
it, it, it really didn't look good for him in, in the way that it, it panned out. His reputation has really took a hit um, in this short spell that he's had as, as manager of one of the major teams in Europe. It could have been life-changing for him, but it, but it hasn't turned out that way. And uh, he, he, I think the criticism he's received, the fact he's been sacked, I think is justified in, in this case. So it brings us on to Ronald Koeman. What do you? What's your verdict? I mean, it hasn't been announced yet as we as we record, but that's you know the word is that it's it's going to be uh, Ronald Koeman. There was a mixed reaction, I would say. I put it out on Twitter as to you know what did people think, and some people were saying, yeah, well, you know, in the circumstances with the elections coming up, it's the best thing that could have happened. Other people raising quite legitimate criticisms of him. Uh, a reporter who worked at Everton. Uh, said he spent more time on the golf course, well, you know, metaphorically more time on the golf course than uh, in the training ground. Um, there was a, a slightly underwhelmed reaction to, to Ronald Koeman, but it, it's a peculiar situation, isn't it, at Barcelona with the presidential elections around the corner? Yeah, I think what, what, I mean, what they needed was they need... What was the weaknesses we saw from Kike Setting was he lacked those leadership qualities. He, he yeah. never had the authority or didn't think he had the authority as manager to impose himself onto the team, you know, to, to I, th- I think the, the tactics against Bayern were led by Griezmann is the only player he didn't seem to mind upsetting. So the others mm-hmm. were picked because he didn't want to upset them. He didn't want to offend them. He didn't, want to, you know, put anybody out. So he just, he managed to get the, the 10 biggest names, if you like, and made them into a, a bunch of players in, in a system and it didn't work. So it, I think what we will see from Koeman, he's, he's, he's got the ego. I don't mean this disrespectfully, but he is arrogant. And I think he believes that, you know, in his, his confidence in his own ability, it won't phase him going into to Barcelona um, in terms of the, the, you know, the celebrity status of the players. He's aware of the challenge. He's aware that he knows that it's, it's a strange situation that pretty much he must feel... That confident, and when I say arrogant, I mean confident. He must feel that confident that he can do a good job, that in a year's time when the elections are up, if he's done that well, any new president might be forced to keep him on because he's done that well. You know, he might be the name on the ticket. If they next year they, they, they do better in the league, they get new players in, he imposes himself as a manager. They, they you know, go closer to Real Madrid. They win a couple of Clasicos. They do well in Europe. Any new president not going to be able to come in and say, right, I'm going to sack this legend who's returned to the club and, and doing a fantastic job just because I've got, you know, Chavi on my, my ticket. So it, it's, it's big balls to take this on because he's a manager with a big reputation, a former player with a big reputation. And I think it needs, it needs someone with that authority. And I have no doubt that Koeman will show that authority and dealing with every player at Barcelona because his ego um, is, is as big as the players. And I, I think he'll, he'll show that he's capable of, of leading them. Then the, the, the other problem then is he's going to upset a few. Um, so it, that's important that any upsets that Barcelona deal with, either move them on or, you know, back the manager. I think it, it's going to be, you know, a, a rocky road but I think it needs it needed someone with that confidence and belief, and probably it does need someone with that Barcelona connection. And people will point to failures, but there's been good 
periods as well, what he's done with Hart, the Netherlands with their, you know, to restore them back to, to where they should be, took them to the final of the Euro- European Champions, Nations, what's it called? Nations Trophy? Nations League. Nations League. He took them to the final of that. He's, he qualified them for the Euros. Managers pick up experience as they go along in their various jobs. And, you know, it may well be a, a good time for him um, to overcome those doubters who saw him foul at Valencia, although they won the Copa del Rey, and saw him foul at Everton, although when we're looking at Everton now, it's been hard for any of the managers they've used in, in recent seasons um, to make that job a success. So it's uh, it's a big job. At Valencia, he upset people, didn't he? And he, and he you know, smashed a few heads together, an old, old guard... So you can see partly maybe what they're thinking, although it's 12 years ago now. Obviously, we're, we're going back a bit, but he upset people, didn't he? Like uh, David Albelder and, and that kind of player who'd been the, the old guard of the club. Uh, the, the the overwhelming question facing Barcelona is Messi's future. Now, obviously, no one's going to bomb him out, but if he, deserve, if, he, if he decides to go, it's difficult to hold on to a player in those circumstances. Um Maybe do it in percentage terms, Terry. What are the what are the chances of Messi kiss, kicking off at Barcelona next season versus anywhere else? Uh, I, no, I, I don't think there's any percentage of chance that he won't be at Barcelona next season. Hundred uh, percent. I think hundred percent he stays yeah. at Barcelona. I think he he's price the transfer fee will inhibit prohibit clubs coming in for him. I mean, he's, he's age as well. There's going to be no sell on. Um, does he want to rip it all up and go to another league, another country, start from scratch at the age of 33? I'd, I'd be absolutely shocked if he if he chose that path. I really would. I think that uh, first and foremost, he knows he's you know getting paid as much as anybody is ever going to pay him in a in a league. It's his club, his team. He will be upset. He'll be hurting over what's happened in the last couple of seasons. But he has to take responsibility as well. I think there has been an element, uh, and we see so many stories with Messi, so many stories about Barcelona. We have to take a lot of them with a pinch of salt because 90% of the stories we see don't materialise, don't happen. But I think it's going to be down to Messi to allow a manager to probably ditch one or two of his mates that he's relied on on the pitch in recent seasons. And there's no, there's no doubting, if your mates with Messi at Barcelona, it does pull in your career there. I've no doubt about that. There's been instances all the way through that, remember the goalkeeper Pinto, he was mates with Messi. Still, yeah. he's, He hung around probably longer than he should. Mascherano, in fairness, although they lacked a Mascherano against Bayern Munich. Mm. Um, but Mascherano, playing as a centre-back, probably stayed there longer than because he was, he was close to Lionel Messi. I think Luis Suarez, Jordi Alba, come into that category now. Players are not daft. They know in the past, you know, if you can become an ally of Messi's, um, somebody relies on it, it does help your your chances of staying at the club, staying in the team. So I think Messi is now going to have to look and think, right, do I want my mates here and have good company? Or do I want to keep having, you know, and, and have situations like we had against Bayern Munich? Or do I need teammates in that I perhaps may not like? Um, but, Makes you know makes us competitive again, so I think that's one of the issues that, that another issue that Koeman's going to have to deal with. And I think the other the, the harsh thing we don't really talk about enough with Messi is how much he's paid. 
Now, because he's so brilliant, we, we you tend to think, oh, well, just you know, give him a blank check, tell him to fill it in himself. But there is a downside to that. If you really, really love the institution of Barcelona, if you really want it to be successful and you want the team, because he looks around, I want the best players at this team, you demanding to be paid a million euros a week or whatever, whatever he gets paid is, is a massive restriction on the club. And so every time that Messi and his dad have gone back and asked for more money, it limits the, the movement for, for the rest of the club. Now, you could say, well, you know, so what? They've wasted it anyway because they've, they've paid ludicrous sums that, that, you know, on not just transfer fees, but wages on players that they're not even using. Coutinho, who played against them. So, you know, I don't feel that Messi's dad would be feeling too guilty. But there is, it is a factor. If you are taking that much money out of the club, you are really limiting who else they can go and sign. It happens in, in sports in America. Um, Tom Brady, the quarterback from the New England Patriots, the most successful quarterback in the history of the NFL, is one, was one of the, the lowest paid quarterbacks in, in, in the sport because he was, you know, they have the wage caps and stuff like that. And his lack of money that he was being paid allowed them to bring in other players. And it's the same in in basketball as well. The, in you know they, those players do all earn great money, of course, but there are instances where players have taken less money um, to to make their their squads competitive, and it often works. You know, you, you, instead of seeing one superstar at a team, somehow you get three to turn up, and they all you know get paid less than they probably should. Um, but they end up winning, you know, winning trophies. So that's a, it's, it's, it's a great point you make, but also the point you make as well about the, the money they've wasted on, on transfers. You know, and those players come with high wages as well. That, fundamentally, that, that's where they've... That's been the big failure in, in, in recent seasons. We can't blame Abidal for all of it because he's only been around for a short mm-hmm. while. But it, it goes back. I was, I was looking at, they reckon it, it's a, a billion euros that have been spent since the last time they've won the Champions League. And and you look at the list of names and you you go, oh, I forgot he was there. You know, how much they spent when they signed Andre Gomez and Luca Dina and, and those people. Paco Alcacer was there. You know, then they brought Dennis Suarez back, although it weren't for a lot of money, admittedly. But Andre Gomez was 50 million euros. And good player that he is, it never worked out, you know, at Barcelona. And he took talk, of course, of... The money brought in from Neymar, the amount of money they've spent on replacements that hasn't worked, and yet all three—you look at all three of the players they brought in. Maybe not so much at Dembele, but certainly Coutinho and Griezmann. They had no idea where they were going to play, play these players. Hmm. You know, but Coutinho spent the whole time he was at Barcelona swapping around from the midfield three, where one minute he was going to be a replacement for Iniesta, to then playing in the front three up alongside, out on the left side. You know, popping in from the, the left wing. And surely that when they they bought him, they had to know what they were going to use, what they're going to use him for, and why they bought him. So it's it's been a real massive failure in the last five or six seasons in terms of you know players that have been brought into the club um, without a plan of where you're going to use them, and and you can't waste money. You know there was a time when it was just, in all honesty, Barcelona and Real Madrid were the only two capable of signing the Galacticos. You know the biggest and best players in the world. Now there's competition, you know, the, the whole of the Premier League have got money. You know, other big clubs around Europe have got money. So when you do spend this money, it, it's it's not as easy as it used to be when Real Madrid in particular were buying five or six of the best players in the world. 
You know, that was easy for them to do at that time because no one else had the money. Um, but now, as I said, it's competition for all the top players. And when you spend 300 billion euros on those three players we're talking about, without a plan of where you're playing them, then you're in trouble. Yeah, and the, the damning word you used there, Terry, was the Galacticos. That, that's what Barcelona have done, isn't it, in recent seasons. Uh, without ever declaring it as a policy, it has become the policy in that you know it, it is about just grabbing a big-name player getting him, sticking him in, and then saying to the coach, right, away you go, do what you can. Can you so, imagine the 300 million now to spend on players? If it was spent yeah. in the manner of Sevilla, for instance, you can't tell me that Carlos and Kunde and Ocampos couldn't have been good signings for Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. And and those, those three come in at just over 50 million euros com- combined. Yeah. We're talking three. Say Barcelona had three hundred million euros to spend. There's three that strengthen your team. You're starting eleven straight away. If Kunde and Carlos are centre backs for Barcelona, they're not conceding goals that they do. You know, if Campos is playing, maybe not week in week out because of the other quality players there. But you're not going to tell me he he doesn't isn't an asset. Wouldn't be an asset to Barcelona. So they have they can't just keep going out. And buying big names for a hundred million, or overspending on average players, you know that that's not how it works. And of course, we haven't mentioned the critical thing here. <clears throat> Excuse me, is the age of the squad. You know, yeah. you're looking at players. Even even Griezmann, to an extent, is 29, and they've just spent over a hundred million on him. He's had one season, and now you're looking, thinking, mm, but that that weren't a good a good investment for a player at that age. You know, to, to be brought into the club. If he's there two or three years, you're not getting anywhere near your money back on him. He has to really deliver. If he gets 30 goals a year for the next four or five years, then they won't care if there's no resale. But if he doesn't, then it's money down the drain. So the age mm. the age of the squad is far too old. They can't do what, physically what they used to do. No, you'd never hear Barca. I mean, De Jong would be a rare example, actually, where... They go and sign one of the hot young properties of European football because they could always do that, couldn't they? You're always, you know, when Havertz is being mentioned, when Zaniolo is being mentioned, all of these young guys who pop up, um, at, you know, good clubs uh, around Europe. Barcelona could still go and get all of them. It's still got the choice of all of those players, haven't they? If they if they want to go and sign them, and it would be cheaper than waiting till someone's 27, 28 and a World Cup winner and then paying a fortune for him and sticking him on a contract that means that no one else could ever buy him. Uh, anyway, shall we? We'll take a quick break. <laughs> Depressing all the Barcelona fans, and then we'll come back. And we do have uh, Sevilla to talk about Atleti and David Silva. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with Geico, we hired a soap opera star. Gracious me, my car has storm damage and I've had to file a claim. Could it possibly get worse? Will my claims team leave me for someone else? Someone less intense? Um, no. Actually, when you file a claim with Geico, you get your own dedicated claims team who promises to stay with you throughout the process. Oh, I've never known such loyalty. I can't wait for the second season. Geico, great service without all the drama. Welcome back. Now, if that was depressing enough for the Barcelona fans, we're going to move on and talk about uh, Atletico Madrid. What an opportunity. Uh, The Champions League was there to be grabbed a few games, but no, they blew it. Uh, RB Leipzig 
Simeone's coming for a bit of grief, Terry, and I think you know it's probably fair <laughs> enough, isn't it? Yes. It, oh, totally. I mean, it, it, it's probably gone unnoticed until a, a incident like this where you feel that it's a chance wasted by Atletico because they were allegedly in the easier half of the draw, which I think everybody agreed was the case. And you, you're looking at it, and then all of a sudden they get beat in a performance like they showed. Jean Felix comes off the bench, and everybody you know is watching, thinking, "Well, why didn't he start?" That's not as straightforward as it looks because this season hasn't been particularly great for Jean Felix. But we saw his quality in that game. So, if, if, if you know, not playing Jean Felix wasn't a massive surprise for people that have watched Atletico this season. You know, they've been playing well without him. He's had injury issues. Urenzi um, has been excellent. Carrasco has been excellent. But when they, they and, you know, you see him come on and you see Atletico lose and not play well and play a, a frustrating style of football again, then it's quite alarming when you see that Simeone is the highest paid manager in the world by some distance. And we were talking about it's 21 million euros a year that he receives as manager of Atletico Madrid. He's been given... You know, all everything he needed in terms of transfer budget, he's lost players along the way, but, uh, you know, he has been able to, to reinvest that into to new players. And and I just think that, you know, when you saw them line up, and I, I must admit, I expected Llorente and Carrasco to be playing off of Diego Costa, to be playing slightly deeper, but as attacking players, because that's how they were playing after the, the resumption of play, where they were really good. And then instead, we saw Urenti playing up front with his back to goal, and we saw um, Carrasco playing wide on the left. And it, it was a straightforward 4 4 2. He went away from his, the style that served them well because they were up against it when we came back into action. You know, they were, they were in sixth position. They needed to, to do really well. They were helped by the fact that others above them slipped up. But Atletico were in great form going into that game against Red Bull Leipzig. And, and again, we saw a manager that, that played cautiously. Um, and, you know, paid the price. Um, so Red Bull Leipzig, I thought, deserved to win that game. But it does bring into context the, the, the question of how much they've spent or Simeone has spent, because he has the power at that club. Like no other manager in, in La Liga, like no other manager in Europe, he's, he's given the, afforded the luxury of deciding everything he wants to do. And, you know, it, it's refreshing to see that the owner trusts him. But in... There has to be. He has to come in for criticism when you 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 back it up with the money you spent on players, and the money he receives as manager. Um, they should be doing better, much better than than what we're seeing. I mean, they're doing okay in La Liga, but they they they're disappointed in 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 other competitions, and they need to be you know a lot closer to Barcelona and, and Real Madrid than they were in in this season. Um, it was a season of transition, but it's been five or six seasons of transition now for Simeone. Yeah, precisely, and because the the notion that they they would trans transist <laughs> that they would change from the, the 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 grubby hardworking team that you and I admired and lots of people admired, but no one really loved, that they would then start signing all of these stars. You can you can rattle through the stars that they they bought and burned up. Jean Felix threatens to become uh, the latest of them. So. Should that transitional process, should he keep trying to do that? But he doesn't seem to be able to get that going, does he? He seems to me that he was never happier than when they were underdogs scrapping and, and, and 
biting and, and you know gouging people's eyes out and that he hasn't really enjoyed the transition into a European super club and that he hasn't actually been able to to make it and it was always happier uh, back in the, the days of struggle. So I just wonder what the, the future direction is for Atletico. Do they keep on trying to make this transition to this stylish super team or do they just should he just go around and sign all the, the big, strong, fast, hard-working, uh, ballsy guys that he can find? I think the latter. Yeah. I, I, I still think that. I don't think... It's, it's quite strange, really, because I don't think Simeone actually recognises now that Atletico are one of the, the big teams in Europe. I don't think he recognises that. I still think he believes they're underdogs, but they're not because of what they pay him, what they buy, how much money they spend on players... And, and expected of that is to see a style of play that, you know, is is attractive, is pleasing on the eye. Um, but he still reverts back to his familiar traits, which have served him well. I mean, we should, I'm, I'm not being too hard on Simeone because where Atletico were before he took over and where they are now is, is unrecognisable. And he, you know, deserves 90% of the credit for what he's done at the club. But he hasn't transformed them into a team that believes that they can win big tournaments still, to win big games. It was their undoing against Real Madrid in two Champions League finals. You know, to, to have that belief, you know, to go and play a way of football that, you know, was always going to be successful, could be successful against Real Madrid in those finals. It was very defensive. It was hanging on for dear life. And they, they paid the cost of losing those two matches. And and we continue to see that from, from Simeone. And... It's. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with you know buying players that play to your style, but we can all recognise that it's going to be problematic for Gel Felix to fit into a Simeone team. Hmm. And it's you know I I think they'll be fortunate though because of his age um, that they, if they wanted to to move him on um, or he wanted to move on, I think they'd be takers. And, and it'd be little games like that the other night that you saw that make everyone sit up and go, what you know, what, what a player. You know, yeah. we haven't seen it on a weekly basis. Um, but he's young, it's his first season. But, you know, you, you do feel that maybe the, the money would have been better off spent from Atletico on, again, two or three players that would be different to João Felix, but more in line of how Simeone wants to play. And I'm not talking about just playing, you know, defensive football, but... High tempo, you know, with and without the ball, aggressive as well. So those those types of players, I think, still would be preferential for, for Atletico to sign as opposed to the, you know, supremely gifted Gio Felix. Um, uh, but so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him and Atletico because he can't keep him, he can't mess him about. He can't be on the bench. Yeah. And Simeone is going to have to, to stick with it have the courage and conviction to, to play him and find a way to play him in his a position that is his best position, um, which is clearly going to be off of a Costa or a Morata. But, you know, I'm not sure either of those two live up to the billion as, you know, as they should as centre-forwards of Atletico. Um, Costa is certainly not the player he was. We see it every, you know, every now and then. Uh, Morata doesn't have that aggression to, to be the old version of Diego Costa. So I think they're in, they're in pretty good shape player wise, but there you know needs to be more ambition shown from Simeone. Um, it was refreshing to see little Sevilla coming through against mighty Manchester United, wasn't it? It was a shock, wasn't it? Um, as goes the the English commentary uh, or the English yeah. uh, covering, <laughs> coverage. Even of the against game. Wolves, 
and yeah. wolves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when we're going to learn in this country, media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When are we going to learn? Pundits on television as well. You know, it, it drives me mad. I'm sure it drives other people mad. First and foremost, when they're watching the game, I, I'm going to throw this out there. There are teams playing in Europe, English teams, that I don't want to win. Yeah. <laughs> Just because they're English. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, obvious, as a Tottenham Hotspur supporter, I don't sit there cheering on other teams in Europe. Um, that just because they're from England. And when I watch a game on television, I don't want to be spoken to as if we're all supporting the English team in, in, in the competition. There are some clubs that I, I you know, don't mind doing well. Um, other clubs, that, you know, club, clubs that I played for and such like. But they talk to us as if the whole country is sitting there cheering on the English team. And they talk in derogatory terms about any team that any of the English Premier League clubs are playing in Europe, European competition. We so lack respect for other leagues, for other clubs, for other players. And, and it, it drives me mad. I, I really you know, don't understand why we don't get more information than the, the opposing team. You know? And if you're not a regular watcher of Spanish football, the coverage, you know, the, the build-up in the press and on television and on all the outlets, not just the, the BT that was showing it on, on live, but... Everyone sort of disregards, you know, other clubs, other players, you know, other teams in Europe. And, and they continue to keep beating us, you know, in particular Spanish clubs. Yeah. I mean, the record over the last few years is, is astonishing. Uh, yeah. It really is. Spanish clubs against English clubs in, in Europe. Yet we still continue to, to look at it as a, a massive shot that, you know, Sevilla could beat Wolves, could beat Manchester United. Um and, and, you know, it was, it was a, a great game of football. I thought United played well. They were at their, their spell, didn't they, at the start of the second half where, I mean, it, there was not even a description of the goalkeeper of Sevilla. Yeah. Who is the backup goalkeeper on loan from Girona. I don't think they ever got a mention. I mean, Veselik is the number one goalkeeper at Sevilla. I'm pretty sure Bono would have been number one at Girona, but they allowed him to go on loan to sit on the bench at, at, at Sevilla. It's working out okay for everybody. Girona in the, the player final. But no, there was not even the story of this is a goalkeeper that barely played this season. This is a goalkeeper that's on loan from a, you know, second division club. Um, and it's, you know, it's a remarkable story. He was incredible in, in that game. Um, the saves he pulled off, particularly in that spell where United were dominant for 10, 15 minutes. You just thought it was only a matter of time before they scored and then probably go on to win the game. But Sevilla got the quality. They, they responded well. They dug in. They defended well with last-ditch challenges. They got through that spell of pressure and then kept the ball really well. I didn't think they had it in them to, to, to get the winning goal, to be honest, in, in 90 minutes um, because they do struggle to, to you know find a player that hits the back of the net on a regular basis because Ocampos went off injured. Um, but I didn't think for one minute we were going to see a four against two situation for Man United, allowing the ball to be crossed. Um, and the only other player in the penalty box marked by three, well, not marked by mm. Man United defenders, found, how do you find that space in the, in the six-yard box to, to tap home from close range when there's only two of you up front and one is crossing it and you're playing against a whole back four? Um, that was a... a, a you know, Epic failure there by the, the, the two centre-backs and, and the right-back and the left-back of, of Manchester United. So, severe, you know, they ground it out against a good Wolves team as well. Um, and the other thing is, they keep, people keep saying about this record of severe, how it helps them. There's only two players in that team 
for Sevilla. Well, it's only two that were there last season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nine players that, that started in the game against Wolves and Manchester United. It's their first season at the club. So we talk about how a club can transform itself and Sevilla have done that. New manager, nine new regular starters. And, you know, to see them, you know, coming through and, and win again and people say, it's oh, the record in this competition. There's only two players at Sevilla, Navas and Benega, that have been involved in a, a Sevilla team that's won the competition. But you must grow wings when you keep hearing that as a player. You know, it, despite the fact it was other people doing it, it's not you and your teammates and the manager. You must gain some, you know, strength um, in terms of confidence and belief that, you know, Sevilla artists, you know, having this historical run in this competition and it must drive you on to believe that you can beat whoever you face. So it's going to be a good final against Inter Milan and, you know, it's uh, up for grabs. I think it's 50-50 which way that goes. Every summer I get round at some point thinking that I just wish Sevilla wouldn't change their whole squad this summer. So I know that Eva Benega is going. That's already already done. I know, you know, lots of richer clubs want uh, Regulon. So, Maybe just use some of the the money you know saved in certainly you know Everbenega's wages, uh, etc., and maybe just try to sign a better centre forward and then have a crack a, a proper crack at taking on the league next season. For all Monchi and the people who were there in the interim when he was away, have a brilliant knack of of signing bargain players from you know mid price bargain players. Um, it would be nice if they just calmed down, showed some faith in Lopetegui, who I think has done a terrific job, and have a proper crack at trying to win La Liga, which bear in mind where Real Madrid and Barcelona are at currently, you're probably never going to have a better chance. No, and they, the, the way they play, they're built to to, to you know put up a, a really good challenge. In, in the past, they've been a great to watch, exciting to watch, but a little bit flimsy in terms of goals conceded. Um, a little bit too open in their play. Now I think that they've got a good balance. You know, it's it's a 4-3-3 system, which is not easy to to get across to the Sevilla fans. But, you know, I, I made the point earlier in the season that it, because it wasn't the same style, they had to win games of football and they have to be challenging. They have to finish top four because the supporters of Sevilla wouldn't have stood for it if it wasn't successful because it's not the usual dish that they're served up. So he's winning. You know, they are, everybody's happy. They finished in the top four. They're in the Europa League final. I don't think for one minute, I mean, there were players this year that came and went. Ronnie Lopez went, was bought for big money. He was the biggest signing. Lopetegui obviously didn't fancy him. We barely saw him. He went out on loan. Uh, Javier Hernandez was bought and sold in six months. Uh, De Boer wasn't in the plans of Lopetegui, so he was moved on. So they, they you know, at Sevilla, they're, they're not afraid to admit mistakes and move players on. But I, I don't think you can have another summer where 16 came in and 16 went out and you, you continue to do that year in, year out. I think there's more of a, a long-term plan. But that needed doing last season. And Monchi coming yeah, back, yeah. it needed in a new coach. It needed ripping up and starting again. I don't think for one minute they, they, you know, they'll be forced into doing that this season. They'll be aware that there might be you know some clubs interested in their better best players. Um, but I trust that they'll have players in mind that could be the replacements. So I hope that Sevilla only sell the players that they no longer wish to keep. And if they have to take the money from other clubs, then it has to be the buyout clauses. And then, you you know, you can start to build on a regular basis. And I really do firmly believe, keep this 
squad group of players together, they are going to be much closer next season to the, the, the top two. Uh, so let's just talk about one more thing, Terry. One transfer, David Silva, which has, I think, caught a few people out, hasn't it? Uh, you know, we're all speculating whether he might go to Las Palmas, whether he might go uh, somewhere easy to play. But no, he's, he's made a brave decision in a way, hasn't he? Because he's gone to play in La Liga, but not for one of the giant clubs. He's gone to play for Real Sociedad. And it'll be it'll be fascinating to, to have him back. I mean, he's been a magnificent player for, for Manchester City for so many years having moved on from Valencia. Obviously, we're old enough to remember him playing for Valencia. Uh, so, I mean, I'm excited to have him back. Was, were, were you surprised? I'm totally surprised. I mean, I, I'm pleasantly surprised as well. I mean, to see him go to a club that we, no one expected, he was a mentioned. Nobody expected David Silva to go to Real Sociedad. There were other clubs around Europe in different leagues. Um, one or two mentioned in Spain. You mentioned Las Palmas. who was talking of returning back to Valencia. Um, to see him pitch up at a team that plays fantastic football, lovely football, um, a team that was going to it was going to be a big blow that they lost Martin Udegaard, who's gone back to Real Madrid, on you know to back to his parent club, and you're thinking that's going to be a big blow. <laughs> they brought someone better in, <laughs> incredible. I mean, Odegaard could turn out to be as good as David Silva, but he isn't at the moment. And to bring David Silva back in at the age of 34, a club that's ambitious in Europe next season is a massive boost. You know, I'm absolutely thrilled he's, he's going to be back in La Liga. I'm pleased it's a different club as well. I'm pleased it's at a club that plays lovely football. And, you know, he's got, hopefully, still so much to offer. I mean, he hasn't played as much this season as he has done in recent seasons. So, he's not going to be as stale as, as maybe some players. Um, a short turnaround in, in the seasons, of course. So, no, I... I can't wait. Imagine the boost that's given the the other players of Real Sociedad as well, because the one thing they've lacked is the youngest team in the top half of the division by a million miles. And the one thing they lacked, which helped when they brought Nacho Monreal in, was that experience and, and guidance you get from players that the younger players look up to. It's not just about age. They need someone to look up to. They had that with Monreal, and now they're going to get it with a magician in David Silva. Uh, right, Terry, I think we'll leave it there, shall we? We'll come back. Obviously, we've got uh, a few finals to talk about. We've got a Europa League final, the Champions League to be done, the, the playoff final as well. So uh, we'll meet up and podcast again, we'll meet up electronically, and uh, podcast again soon. And uh, enjoy your football, everybody. See you soon. Order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. 
Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.